0: So, do you have any idea where we're going to jump to this morning in our sermon? How about Romans chapter 11? Uh, We started this chapter a few weeks ago, and, and again, you know, we have to understand everything that comes at us from the book of Romans based upon what Paul has already shared with us. Uh, Because he's been building and developing all kinds of things and doctrines all through uh, this probably maybe the greatest theological treatise that was ever written we have here in this this book of Romans. It tells us and teaches us so much about uh, all-powerful and mighty God and and so much about the gospel and so much about Christ who came to make the gospel a reality uh, for us. And more recent uh, parts of the of this epistle, he's been talking uh, more and more about Israel and about the Jews, and that's really where we're going to focus this morning. And the question being is 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 what is to become, what is to to be of the Jewish people. And we're going to try to come to some conclusions in regard to certain things, but at the same time, I want to just challenge us with the idea that a lot of what we're talking about this morning is very much cloaked in mystery, and we will not understand it until the final time of the second coming of Christ. And then things like this will become very apparent to all of us in the fullness of their meaning. Up until that time, we're going to have to just be satisfied with knowing what we can know and understanding what we can know. With definiteness and at the same time understanding that there are a lot of things that we can speculate on and come to perhaps good answers and conclusions to, but not necessarily definitive answers when it comes to absolutely everything. And we have to acquiesce in having it so. We know what God has told us. It's all we have to go on at this point. we need to come to the very best understanding of what he has in fact given to us when it comes to every matter of faith and practice so we're going to beginning in chapter 11 with verse 25 and reading through verse 36 for I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice they are beloved, for he for the For the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all the disobedience that he might show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable all his ways. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him, for from him and through him and to him all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. It really is quite amazing When you consider that through the generations, through centuries, through millennia, the Jewish people have been able to maintain some sense of their ethnicity. Every person that is of Jewish descent pretty much understands and knows and remembers today that they are of Jewish descent even though there have been all kinds of factors that have happened through history that would have made that very difficult. For instance, you think of the deportations that took place in the Old Testament, first from Israel at the hands of the Assyrians, and then the deportation to Babylon of the Judahites, the persecutions that came through Rome, that came to a culmination when in 136 AD the Roman Emperor Hadrian exiled every Jew from the Promised Land and and told them, do not come back because if you do, you will be executed. And for almost two millennia, they had no country They were dispersed around the world, concentrated in certain areas, but no place to call home. Until 1944, when the state of Israel was reestablished by the United Nations. Just to put things in context. Some of you are first generation from somewhere else. Maybe second generation you maybe still have some sense of that but the fact of the matter is this is in the United States it doesn't take many generations before people actually lose much of a sense of their ethnicity their origin at all I told you before or a couple of weeks ago that I was reading a a book that was written by a guy that was a participant a paratrooper at at the Normandy invasion. And at one time he was captured. He was a first-generation German himself. Or second-generation German. His parents were Germans that immigrated to the United States. And he was being interrogated by the Gestapo after he was captured. And this, somehow they figured out that this was the situation. And the guy looked at him and he said, How are you killing Germans? You are a German. My great-grandparents on my father's side were first-generation Germans. They had four sons. Three of them fought the Germans in World War II. I mean, you put things in context like that, it really is amazing. The Jewish people today still understand that they're Jewish people. There are some things in this passage that are difficult to understand. If you didn't pick up on a few of them as we were reading through here, you probably weren't listening very very well to what we were reading there's things in this passage that we cannot explain to the fullest extent at this point and I am not going to try to do that God has told us what he wants us to know and we get into real weeds real trouble when we start beginning to speculate about certain things One of the things I want to bring to our attention before we get into the, the rest of this is this is that, that, that Paul has been arguing effectively over and over again in different ways, since chapter eight, that the elect of God and only the elect of God will be saved. No one else, whether they be Jew or Gentile, will have salvation. We live in this time that Paul is describing here, which has sometimes been called the time of the Gentiles. The gospel first went out to Israel. We understand that. The gospel is not a New Testament product, the gospel was in the Old Testament, that God preached the gospel to Israel through the prophets. We know that Israel was called the chosen people of God. Right? But we also know something of Old Testament Israel, and that was, were there faithful people in Israel? Paul, just in this chapter, used the example of, of the fact that in the days of Elijah, Elijah came up and kind of began to believe that he was the only one that really loved God, that knew God, that served God. And God sent him straight. There were 7,000 in Israel that were faithful to him at that time. We know that the Messiah came forth from Israel, that Jesus was a Jew. We know that he was a blood descendant of King David. We know that in, 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 in the, the earthly ministry of Jesus, the vast majority of people that Jesus ministered to were Jewish people. Sons of Israel. We know that. We also know what the picture was. And that is this, that some of them, were there, were there people who came to faith in Jesus Christ who were Jewish When Jesus came to do his ministry? Yeah. There were. And we also know this. That Jesus made it very clear. First of all, in his commissioning of the apostles. And even more specifically, in the commissioning of the apostle Paul. that redemption was entering into a new era. An era whereby the gospel that had been given and promised to Israel for all of those generations was now to go forth to the nations, to the Gentiles. If you look at the commissioning statements in regard to all of the apostles, and the apostle Paul in particular, They were called to do two things. One of those was to testify to Jewish people and the other was to testify to Gentiles. Uh, We live in the day that some people have called the age of the Gentiles. Why? Because this is when the gospel has been opened up more broadly to Gentile people like most of us are. There were Jews who come to faith through the ministry of Jesus. There were Jews who came to faith through the ministry of the apostles. Every one of them. There are Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ down through the generations up to the time that we are at now. Sometimes people of Jewish descent have converted to faith in Jesus Christ and entered into what otherwise would be Gentile churches in other words when they when they came to faith in Christ they gave up on their Jewishness and just accepted the fact that they were believers in the body of Christ, what was Jew and Gentile together. And I just want to remind us of this, that the, the Bible describes the church of Jesus Christ in our day as Jew and Gentile together. What they have in common with one another is their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Sometimes Jews are, are converted, and they just enter into the church body. They stop doing some of the things that they did as a Jew, and they begin to... Do New Testament church things. There's also a group that are called, they call themselves Messianic Jews. In 2017 there were around 15 million Jews in all of the world. Close to half of those lived in Israel. Of those, 350,000 were Messianic Jews. So you're talking about a small fraction of all of them. Messianic Jews are Jews who continue to identify as Jews, and and they've adopted the Jewish lifestyle in a lot of aspects, but at the same time, they acknowledge Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. I would imagine Messianic Jews are persecuted a whole lot for being where they are. Every major Jewish sect rejects Messianic Judaism. In other words, the rest of the Jewish world would say that these people may claim to be Jewish, but they are in fact not. They're considered outcasts by their Jewish brethren. Uh, But even so, you're talking about a small fraction of Jews. There's only like 350,000 Messianic Jews, and the vast majority of them, guess where they live? Not in Israel, in the United States. Far more here in the United States than anywhere else in the world. As we talk about these things, we have to remember some things. And one of those is this, is the elect and only the elect will be saved. And we know that among the elect, that some of them are Jews and at the same time some of them are Gentiles. So Those are are two principles that we need to apply to everything we understand from this particular part of chapter 11. If we forget those things, then we're probably going to come to some wrong conclusions about things. We live in the day of what's called the Gentiles, a time when the gospel's been opened up to to, to Gentiles to be more directly available to them. You and I are blessed by living today. You understand that, right? There's a chance that if you and I had been born before the coming of Christ, there's a real good chance that we would never have come to faith. We wouldn't have known God. We wouldn't have worshiped the true God, the living God. Really, there's a sense in which you and I are really blessed because we're Gentiles to be born in the time we're born in. Very often called the time of the Gentiles. But we need to keep some things in context here because if you read everything that is said here, it's easy to conclude that Well, in verse 26, Paul says this, and thus all Israel will be saved. In other words, what some people conclude there is this, is that in the end, every person that has ever lived who is Jewish will actually come to salvation. Is that really what Paul is saying? There are a lot of people very well-known, very well-respected Christian authorities who come to that conclusion. Many people believe that there will come a time near the end or at the end when there will be a mass conversion of Jews to Christianity. Now we know this. We know that there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. So any Jew or Gentile that is going to be saved is going to do it through Jesus and not apart from Jesus Christ. There's no other way. He is the way. He is the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. So the question is this, is what does Paul mean here when he says that all Israel will be saved? Is he saying there? Is he saying there that every Israelite that has ever been is going to be saved in the end? Now, for that to be a reality, we have to consider some things. One would be this, that that somehow God is going to give the Jewish people a second chance. All Jewish people a second chance. Because we know this. We know how many, did, 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 did all the Jewish people come to faith in Jesus Christ when he came to minister before? No. As a matter of fact, when you look at everything, it looks like only a very small number of Jewish people came to faith in Jesus Christ through his ministry here on earth. And we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So that means if, if all Jews, if Paul is saying here that absolutely every Jew, every person of Jewish descent is going to be saved in the end, that they're going to have to, many of them are going to have to have a second chance to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And some people believe that that opportunity is coming for them. Is that a possibility? Yeah, but at the same time, the New Testament never speaks to anything like that. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us absolutely everything about everything. So I mean, it's a possibility, but what I'm telling you is that's a possibility, I guess, but the Bible doesn't address it anywhere. We know that he came to his own, and the vast majority of his own rejected him. We understand this. The Romans actually killed Jesus, but they did it because the Jewish pressured him, the Jews pressured him to the point they didn't have any choice. People don't even like to hear things like that, because if you say anything like that, then you're anti-Semitic. You know, horrible things have been do, done to the Jewish people through the years. And, you know, World War II, awful, horrendous. That's not to say that there could not come a time. And this is what a lot of other people conclude, and that is that immediately before the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a mass conversion of the Jewish people. Nothing I'm going to say for the rest of this is going to take away from that. That is a definite possibility. That could very well happen. Well, anyway, we have to struggle with some things through here because some things that, that, that we might conclude by taking some things that are said here literally that which may not be meant to be taken literally can take us to places that maybe are not very well founded in Scripture. There's some principles that we need to remember. One of those is this, is the elect whether they happen to be Jewish or Gentile, are the only ones that will be saved, period. So if every Jew is saved at the end of time, it's only because they were elected to salvation by God himself. We know that no one of themselves is worthy to become a child of God, that we are all sinners, we've all fallen short of his glory. And that's true for Gentiles and Jews alike. No difference. One of the one of the sad things is this: is uh, is is the Jewish people in large never have come to one of the greatest understandings of why God gave us the law. And one of His obvious purposes is this: is to show us that we're sinners. I mean, they believe by and large that you make yourself right with God by keeping His Word. Completely, absolutely. And they somehow think they have the ability to do that. They've lost the sense that they're sinners at heart. they passed right over one of the Most important aspects of why God gave us the law to start with was to convict us of our sin, convince us that we're sinners. Martin Luther believed at one time that that essentially all Israelites would eventually be saved. That's what he believed. He took a literal meaning from what he read here in Romans chapter 11. He believed that that would happen. He didn't know all the wherewithal and this, that, and the other. But but later on, as Martin Luther became more and more knowledgeable in the Scriptures, he changed his view and he began to understand in his mind that, that, that Israel here was basically another word for the elect. Those who are elected to salvation. I am more of the mindset that in the New Testament there's been a redefinition of Israel given. That in essence it's the New Testament church. G, or, or the apostle Paul in Galatians actually uses Israel very clearly in a reference to the New Testament church. Which would be Jew and Gentile ga- gathered together in one body which is what Paul emphasizes in Ephesians chapter 2 you're no longer one you're not separated anymore there is no distinction to be made between Gentile believer and Jewish believer and like I said in Galatians he actually refers to the church as Israel the new Israel in a sense is that a possibility I would say yes. Am I willing to stand here today and tell you that I can tell you that matter-of-factly with no doubt about it? And the answer to that is no. No one can answer these questions, even though there are a lot of people who at this point in time are willing to do that. And just remember, we have to keep things in context. Paul is not saying what he said here, apart from what he's already said in in Romans 8 and 9. And one of the things that he made very clear earlier on is this. Remember Elijah? Thought he was the only one? What did God tell him? No, there's 7,000 others out of this whole nation of million people. 7,000. And what I would say is they were the true Israel at that time. Like we said before, there's a sense in which we are really blessed at being born in the time that we are. Because the doors open wide to make salvation available to the Gentiles. Now were there Gentiles who came to faith in the Old Testament? Yeah. There were some. Ruth and and, and, Ruth and others. <laughs> you know the lady I'm thinking about at Jericho, what was her name? Rahab. Rahab. I mean, there are examples of people who came to faith, true faith in God in the Old Testament. Know this. There's a sense in which we're benefiting today from, well, notice here, it says here that, 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 that God actually hardened. Have we seen that before? Paul argued earlier on about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Let me just tell you something. If your heart has not been absolutely hardened because of sin, then it's only because God's prevented it from being so. Just remember, there's a principle, and the principle is this, is God has been restraining sin in mankind since the very Garden of Eden. If that were not true, then then there would have been no mankind. Adam and Eve would have killed each other, or one would have killed the other one, and the other one had died off eventually. That would have been the end of the whole story. God was restraining sin even then. He restrained sin in all of us. If you ever get to the point, or if you ever say something like, boy, I could never do that, you better watch yourself. I'm serious. I could never kill anyone, I could never steal something from someone, I could never tell a lie, I could never, 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 never. You're setting yourself up for a fall because, let me tell you something, God is restraining sin in you, and all he has to do is let go of the reins just a little bit to show you exactly what you're fully capable of doing. And sometimes he does that to us to humble us. Just remember, Christ is what makes a difference in you. Christ is what makes a difference in your life. He has done for you what you don't do. He's done for you what you cannot do, what you're not capable of doing. You cannot overcome the power of sin in yourself. It is there. Only Christ can do that. If you are of the elect... Don't be prideful and arrogant about it. See, this is one of the things that sometimes bothers me about some Jewish people, is they really do have an an error of pride and arrogance about them sometimes. I mean, some Jewish people you meet are very, very humble and that sort of thing, but sometimes they are very puffed up and proud. And I'm not saying there's not a sense in which you should be proud to be a Christian, but at the same time, you need to understand something. That's not pride in yourself. That's pride in God. Because if what Paul has been teaching here through Romans 9 is true, and we believe it is true, all of it's true, every bit of it's true, the only reason you're saved is because God has saved you from yourself. There's a sense in which you haven't contributed one thing to your salvation, God has done everything for you that had to be done. All of it. Every jot and every tittle. So can you be proud and puffed up about your salvation? Can you look down your nose at other people who are not saved and think very lowly of them? And feel good about it? You've heard me say this a few times over the last weeks. Being being saved according to predestination, divine election, should not make you proud and arrogant. What it should do is humble the mess out of you. It should make you as lowly, as humble as you possibly can be. When you understand that you are who you are, you are a sinner in the eyes of God. But nonetheless, God has chosen of his own free will to love you. And to redeem you. And to do absolutely everything necessary to make that a reality. You have done nothing. The only thing you've done is respond to him when he's enabled you to do it. But he's the author and perfecter of your salvation in absolutely every single aspect. If he had left you where you were, you would not be here. He came to you, you did not come to him. He loved you when you hated him. He chose you, he elected you to salvation when he had every reason in the universe not to. Are you humble? You ought to be. You ought to be the most humble people on the face of the planet. But again, like I said, sometimes what I've gotten from Jewish people is just this sense of just arrogance and this pride and. And whatever. And unfortunately, guys, sometimes that's what you get from Christians. I'm not telling you shouldn't be be proud of being a Christian. You should be. But it's not because of you, it's because of Him. Well, I profess faith in Him. Well, you know why you did, because He enabled you to. If He didn't do that, you never would have. You were dead in your trespasses you were dead to God he caused you to be born again he sent forth His spirit to you and caused you to be born again not according to your will not according to the will of men but according to the will of God John chapter 1 I think sometimes Gentile believers look down their nose at Jewish people. We have no ground to look down our nose at anybody. So what's going to happen? Well, we know this. We know the elect are going to be saved, and it doesn't matter if they're Jews or Gentiles. The elect and only the elect are going to be saved. Could there be a time when a mass conversion of the Jews took place? Yes. It could happen today. That's that's still a possibility. It's not something that's out of the question. But we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that's it. There's no other way. None. We have to remember that. Remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. For instance, if you take some of these verses out of here, completely out of the context of Scripture, you're going to come to a totally different understanding than you are if you keep it in the context. Context, context, context. Let me just say this one thing to you. This is important, I think. The moment you no longer are amazed that God has saved you, you're in trouble. Maybe big trouble. So are you? God saving you should be the thing that amazes you above everything else. After all it is amazing grace. How sweet it sounds. Saved a wretch like me.